Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, Lauren Shalou gives insight into the nitrates modelling completed by Chagas and the expected consequences of a change to nitrates calculations for your farm. August of, of 2020, last year, we were asked to look at a number of scenarios from a department point of view and its impact on, you know, nitrogen loss, grass growth, economics and so on. So one of the things, or I suppose some of the things that we were asked to look at were, you know, the impact of changing the spreading date uh, for chemical nitrogen, you know, making it later in the spring and, and earlier in the autumn, reducing the levels of chemical nitrogen by 10 and 20 percent uh, at different stocking rates. Uh, looking at non-compliance around the closed period for slurry spreading. So essentially cl- spreading slurry over the winter period. Um, also, we were looked at, uh, looked at uh, stocking rate and reducing the stocking rate from you know, 250 to 230 in terms of organic N and the impact. And I suppose while we were doing that, uh, a request came in around looking at the milking platform versus the whole farm and the impact of having higher stocking rates on the milking platform. I suppose finally then we were asked to look at organic N and how organic N has changed over time. And um, based on a request that came back from the commission during the process uh, earlier this year, uh, what would a banding system look like for Ireland? And when we talk about a banding system, um, it means, you know, having uh, different bands for different farms based on their milk yield per cow, which is similar to other countries. And let's take a step back and 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 walk through these um, different scenarios that you're talking about, Lawrence. I mean, um, to start, what were the nitrogen-based outcomes that you would have seen, you know, given the the studies that you've undertaken? Yeah, and I suppose you know, first thing to do here is acknowledge that um, you know, I suppose when we started this process. Um, you know, we wondered about the type of model that we'd use and so on. But, you know, when we when we started getting stuck into it, um, we quickly realized that we had a very useful tool here called the MOST model, which is a model that um, a colleague, colleague L.D. Ruel, um, uses. And it, it's very useful for predicting grass growth. And most farmers or lots of farmers would see information coming from this model through pasture base and directly on an ongoing basis. So that was the the main engine we use to drive it. And we also use a, a second model, which is the more part dairy systems model. What we did then was we used the model to answer each one of those specific questions. And I suppose the most interesting and the most dramatic answer across the board was the variation from year to year. So if management doesn't change or if management didn't change in any one year, the nitrogen that I suppose leaves the system to one meter, um, there was a difference of 100 percent. So, you know, it it ranged from 39 kilos to 88 kilos. So that's that's important. Year to year variation is probably the most important outcome of this report. It's it's absolutely huge. And I suppose to bring that on as farmers, uh, how nitrogen is managed uh, and how our overall systems are managed uh, needs to be dynamic and needs to, I suppose, the way to look at it, we need a precision-based approach. And I suppose much many farmers are doing this now through using tools like Pasture-Based Ireland, uh, using predictions around grass growth and so on, and we need to be dynamic in how we manage our systems. I suppose especially as we see more climate change in our, in, in, in our environments. Looking to stocking rate then, you know, modelling, reducing from your 250 down to 230. Talk through that, Lawrence. Yeah, so I suppose um, 
you know, I suppose just an important point here, and it's, you know, it's important that we put this out there, is that, you know, even when we look at this year, organic N per cow went up from 85 up to 89. Um, and that means that our overall stocking rates reduce. And there's a saving saving in that. So I suppose what we showed was um, when we looked at that saving, moving from 85 up to 89, and then looked further um, from saving from uh, going from 250 down to 230 kilos of organic N, what we can see here is the, the amount of leaching that we're saving is somewhere around, uh, you know, 4%, 5%, um, or 3 kilos. So, you know, half of that has been achieved already. Half of that has been achieved by organic N going up to 89 like we have this year. Uh, but if we were to reduce stocking rate further, um, the reduction would be relatively small, uh, roughly about 1.2, 1.3 kilos, which um, obviously compare that to the financial impact of reducing stocking rate, which would be, would be very big. Looking then, you mentioned some modelling around spreading slurry during the close period. Um, I guess, you know, we're under no illusions. This is happening. Um, facilities probably aren't there on farms to support the number of animals on farms in some scenarios. Is How damaging is this? So, yeah, f- um, I suppose we looked at two scenarios. We looked at where 12% of the slurry was spread over in, in December, versus, of mid-December versus 25% of the slurry. And essentially what we can see here is that from the paddocks that are getting the slurry, there's an increase in leaching of, of 5%. Um, so of the order of, of 4 kilos of, of additional leaching, 4.3 kilos of additional leaching, which is quite significant on these farms. So, you know, I suppose um, it's a practice that um, I suppose as, as, as facilities haven't kept up with the increased cow numbers is something that we need to be really careful of because it's very visual. You know, we all can see it. Um, and it's something that is damaging and it's something that we need to work on very, very quickly to ensure that that's not causing problems in the long term. Looking then to um, organic in, um, you know, how has that changed over time? Yeah, so uh, again, I suppose... Um, you know, organic N is something that hadn't really been looked at. You know, we were working off the 85 kilos of organic N from, you know, I think people, when we asked people where the number came from, it's not really clear, but it, it probably came in in reps in 1994. Um, it was probably incorrect at the time, to be honest. It was probably too too high at the time, uh, given the milk yields that we had then. Um, so I suppose we were requested to look at organic N, see how it has changed over time. And I suppose it's important to, you know, we suppose we had to put a methodology together, and we had to look at then how numbers changed. And what we did was we modeled how organic N has changed between 2012 and 2019. Um, and obviously over that period, we've had a dramatic increases in milk yield and so on. So I suppose if we look at it, um, in 2012, organic N was 88 kilos of organic N per cow. Uh, increasing up to 91 in 2017 and, and 94 in 2019. So that's how organic N uh, has changed, I suppose. When we, you know, you, people might be wondering then, where did we get a figure of 89 that was implemented this year? Uh, essentially, where that is came from is um, the average of 17 to 13. So a five-year period, uh, that was 89. If we look at the average between 2018 and 2014, uh, that figure comes out at 90. And if we look at the average between 2019 and 2015, that figure comes out at 91. So if we made no change, to how organic N is treated at farm level and went with one figure 
essentially what we would say is that that 89 will become 91 and that 91 will continue to increase over time as performance of the animal as milk yield per cow increases and as performance of the animal increases. And, and and let's look at that in terms of the performance of animals. And you mentioned that ye have created, I guess, um, some guidance or recommendation in terms of banding. Can you explain um, what way the banding is working and some more insight into it? Yeah, so I suppose, you know, the question came back from Brussels, um, you know, in most countries, not all, but in most countries in the EU, there is a tailored, to, you know, tiered system where... Um, every cow is not treated equally. Uh, it's related to the milk yield of the cow. So DAFM asked us to do something similar for Ireland. And I suppose, you know, we, we, we put a lot of um, thought into that and processes around it and looking at different scenarios. Should we have, you know, a number of, you know, six, seven, eight categories? Should we have a small number of categories? And I suppose our overriding uh, principle was that we wanted to I suppose, minimize the disruption for the vast vast majority of farmers um, if this system was to be put in in place. Um, So we came up with a system that um, essentially has three bands, um, under 4,500 kilos in volume, between 4,500 and 6,500 kilos, and greater than 6,500 kilos. Um, So they're the three bands. um, And you know, how do the numbers work on that? Essentially, we have about 65% of farmers in the, uh, or 70% of milk, sorry, in the um, in the middle category that are not disrupted. About 12.6% of farmers in the, or sorry, milk in the lower category. And then about 11% of suppliers in the, in the higher category. So that's where it was over the last uh, five years. Now, obviously, you know, when we calculate the organic N for those group, um, we have a figure of, for the low, less than 4,500 kilos, we have a figure of 80 kilos of organic N. Between 4,500 and 6,500, 92. And uh, greater than 6,500 kilos, uh, 106. I suppose just a couple of points. You know, obviously, if you're in this uh, higher category, you're not going to be overly impressed by this. I suppose just to make, you know, a few points, if we if we design a system with more bands, which can be done, um that means that there'll be higher categories. So, you know, you know, greater than six and a half thousand, greater than seven and a half thousand, greater than eight and a half, whatever. Um, you know, they'll all have higher organic end. It might be, you know, 120 or 125 or whatever. So the more bands, the more categories, the more disruption and the, the more, I suppose, um, stocking rate will be implemented. That's the, that's the first point. And I suppose the second point then is um, the way the system was designed was to be as simple and as if, you know easily implemented as possible. Um, most farmers think of milk yield on a volume basis, and that's despite Jagger spending many years talking about solids. Milk price is quoted on a cent per liter basis most of the time. So I suppose that's you know one of the main reasons why we went with uh, a volume-based set of numbers. I suppose the other reason we did was we, again, want uh, to allow farmers to increase um, efficiency within this banding system. So, you know, yes, you can increase volume up to the to the trigger point, uh, but you can increase your milk protein and fat concentration. You're not restricted at all in that. And that's positive for the industry. So, you know, if this trigger or if these bands were built on a milk solids basis, you would have a double lock system where you'd be locking on solids as well as volume. 
And we wanted to try and develop a system that was simpler than that. And you've answered my key question, Lawrence, and that is, I guess, what more and more people are talking about, um, you know, with the figures that have come out and these new bands, people are saying milk yield. You know, some people have, um, I suppose, uh, taken up that message and moved on to milk solids. So and, and a key point there, um, you know, efficiency and how we're paid is that A plus B minus C system. And, you know, you're not going to be penalized for improvements to your fat and protein percentage. Looking to the future, Lawrence, and the nitrates uh, figures and I guess the derogation is renewed on a, a kind of on a four year basis. Is there a situation that you would worry for the future of the derogation overall for the country? But I guess for some of the, say, 7000 farmers that are engaging with derogation on an annual basis. So for me, I think that, you know, that uh, decision, that outcome is based on what the industry does now. You know, um, if you look at it and look at the numbers uh, and stand back for it, there is, you know, you know, some change needed at farm level. Um, and that change, if implemented, whether it's around, you know, slurry spreading over the winter period, um, whether it's around a suggested reduction in chemical nitrogen, um, that should stand us in good stead for the next derogation. And I suppose a little bit of investment now or a, um, a little bit of change now could be very valuable uh, into the future. And it's actually, you know, similar with the banding. You know, if we stay with the current one number, which you'd question is equitable, you know, is it equitable that a, a cow that's doing 8,000 litres and a cow that's doing 4,500, 5,000 litres have the same number? It, it's probably not. So... If we go with a banded system, the level of change going forward becomes much less. So what we've seen here is that if if we stay with one number, organic N is probably going to increase by 0.7 of a kilo per year. So every four years, it'll increase by three kilos. With the banded system, uh, it probably won't happen like that. And you would change bands rather than your organic N increase. So, you know, obviously there's always a danger uh, that, that a derogation could be lost. But... You know, I think um, some change now um, could stand us in very good stead for the future. It was really great to get some insight into the model, Lawrence. Um, you know, I suppose particularly um, what is included in it and the, the outcomes that you would expect to see based on different scenarios. I guess to wrap up, Lawrence, you're involved in organising the Park Open Day. We would have spoken to Pat Dillon in, in mid-August. Um, I guess since then there has been developments in the reopening process in the country. In light of this, could you give us an update in terms of what we could expect the Park Open Day to look like this year? So, Emily, we're delighted to get the opportunity to do that here. So essentially what we're, we're looking at now is, you know, that we had a change in government uh, guidelines last week, which means that uh, we're going very much for a physical uh, open day up to a limit of 4,000 people per day. That means we're going to run it over the three days. So it's going to be on the 14th, 15th and 16th. A um, couple of changes to, you know, the farmers might be used to the open day in the past. A couple of changes. We are requiring people to re- pre-register. Um, and that's so that we can manage the numbers over the, the four days, that we don't get maybe eight, nine, ten thousand in one day or whatever. So um, we'll, people must pre-register. And within that, they have to, um, I suppose, declare that they either have been vaccinated, uh, 
that they're immune or they are an accompanied minor. So we are we are going with the government, um, I suppose, guideline that says that va- that category of people, um, um, you know, can be treated up to 75% of capacity. Now, we're working well below 50% of our capacity, but we're still going with that, that, that category. Uh, so you must pre-register, and then on entry, you will be asked to declare or show your, your vaccination cert um, or whatever. So that will be different to other years. So that's a small little bit of an inconvenience to people. Uh, but other than that, it'll be very similar to a, to, to a Moore Park Open Day that you would have had, uh, been at in the past. Just two other notes. Um, we have two virtual events. Wednesday morning is um, not so much a Chagas virtual event, but it's the National um, you know, Dairy Council and Ornua Milk Quality Awards. They're going to come live from, from the Open Day. And that'll go out live at nine o'clock on Wednesday morning. And then on Wednesday evening uh, at seven o'clock, we have um, a forum, an industry forum. And within that, we have uh, Mary Donnelly, which is, who, who is the chair of the Climate Change Council. We have Minister Charlie McConlogue. Uh, we have John Jordan from Arnua and we have Jerry Boyle from Chagas. Uh, and that's chaired by Sharon E. Viola. And they'll talk about, you know, key industry issues going forward and the key challenges and opportunities that are out there for the dairy industry. Finally, just to finish, I'd like to thank or acknowledge our sponsors, uh, FPD, AIB and uh, Arnua. And I guess just to re-emphasise what you said, Lawrence, you know, it's important that people do register and registration is open from today. Um, so you'll find that on the Chagas website. And also then to reiterate a slight change to the virtual events on Wednesday morning, you'll have the NDC Milk Quality Awards and Wednesday evening will be the forum. Thank you, Lawrence. Thanks, Emma Louise. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Lawrence Shalou for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the Dairy Edge podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.